So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. God, in many times and in dust ways, you spoke to your people through your servant, the prophets. But in these last days, you have spoken to us in your son. And we are thankful that as we reflect on this text, that it can remind us that we have a definitive uh, understanding of what you will do for us for all eternity. That you will work salvation for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more to know in addition to that. Nothing special we need told to us besides this good news of King Jesus who, is, who has come to rescue his people. And so we pray that you would help us to reflect well on that tonight, that you would open our minds to see deeply and richly into these words. We pray that you would give us eyes to see your glory ears to hear your word, hearts to believe your gospel, and hands to serve your world. We pray that you would overcome the deficiencies of the one who preaches, for they are many, and that you do use the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts that we might love you more and serve you better. And we pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Sometimes when we think about uh, trying to win a sports match, or outthink an opponent of some sort, we talk about how we, we need to get inside their head. And we mean that to be successful uh, in understanding their strategies and how we can act against them, we have to learn how to think like them and, and process situations like they do. Now, although Philippians is not about overcoming an external opponent, somebody that we face, Paul still gives us similar advice. He says, 
to get in, or, or something similar to get inside their head. He says, have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus. And that's the driving point of these 11 verses. Have this mind among yourselves. And the question for us is what specifically, what kind of specific mind are we to have and why should we have it? The mind that we are to have is clearly explained in verses 1 to 4 and is summed up by saying, look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul wrote these verses so that his readers would share a mind of encouragement, comfort in love, affection and sympathy that was given to them in Christ. And so the enemy is not out there, but is our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. And we need to learn to think like Christ, have his mind get more inside his head so that we can overcome that enemy within us. And so Paul urged Christians to to come together in unity of affection, care, and life. He urged them to have all things in common. And these actions should be grounded in that mind given to them in Jesus. And this means that our link to Christ and the benefits that Christians receive from Him should be the motivation and the cause for our sharing and commonality with one another. And so in summary, this passage is an exhortation to be concerned about one another. He wants people to quit competing within the church. It's not a competition here. Do nothing from rivalry, he says. We're not supposed to try to be better than one another. He wants people not to strive for pride of place, do nothing from conceit. He wants Christians to count other Christians more significant than themselves. And it seems the bottom line is he wants us to quit thinking about ourselves, basically in general. Quit looking at yourself, quit preening yourself for the world. Quit acting like we are something special to the universe that we deserve to be seen. Worry instead about the brother or sister in the pew or chair next to you. Turn for others helps us understand actually why striving to, to be better, why looking to do works of service is necessary as part of the Christian life. God does not need our works, and we cannot bring anything to God to earn salvation. But no, God does not need your works. Your neighbor does. The person in the seat next to you needs your love and service, and Paul reminds us of that here. 
So the thrust of this passage is an exhortation, again, to be concerned about one another. And yet this text is also a rich exposition of the work of Christ on your behalf. And so the main point is Christ earned exaltation by his humble obedience, which calls us to be humbly concerned for others. Christ earned exaltation by his humble obedience, which calls us to be humbly concerned for others as well. We'll see that in three points. The service of the Savior, our selfishness for sludge, and the sweetness of salvation. So first, of the Savior. And in this point, I want to to highlight how this passage teaches us that Christ earned his exaltation, the glory that he receives at the end there. I want to show that. And so this this point will be slightly more doctrinal than the others, and I hope we can move from that theological basis to, to be a bit more practically oriented from that. And so as noted in the introduction, Paul described the mind we are to have in Christ in verses 1 to 4. And then he stated in verse 5 that this mind is actually already ours in Christ. And so the mindset that Paul says Christians should have belongs to you now because you're a Christian. As we take hold of Christ by faith, we receive this mind that is concerned about our fellow Christians. And this this means that if we are not using this mind, if we are not growing in our concern for others, at least if we're not striving to use it, maybe the best way to put it, then something is wrong. Something has short-circuited if we don't sense the need to be concerned for one another. And the explanation of Christ's work in verses 6 to 11 helps us understand why it is so crucial to have this humble mindset. So in verses 6 to 8, Paul gives us a glimpse of what it was like for the eternal Son to take on a human nature Specifically, these verses explain Christ's obedience as seen from a a heavenly perspective. Christ was in the form of God. And this is an explicit announcement of Christ's deity, his divinity. We know Paul is teaching that Christ was truly God because of the parallel phrase in verse 7, the form of a servant. So if Jesus was truly a servant, and perhaps even few unbelievers have gone so far as to deny that, then he was also truly God. So truly a servant means truly God, in these, according to these phrases. Most people would accept Jesus was a good person who served others. And Paul points out that, that the true, rich depth of this service comes from the fact that Jesus was a divine person who stepped down to serve. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
Instead of insisting on his full rights that he always had as equal with God, he, he made himself nothing by becoming a servant. This was an act of obedience, even unto death. And, and so the, the emphasis is on, is on how the eternal Son of God became completely obedient when He became a servant. Although Christ did not owe any sort of submission or obedience to anyone as the Son of God, He willingly accepted a task from the Father so that He could benefit others. Of no obligation of His own, He took on obligation to benefit you. His equality with God the Father did not prevent Him from becoming obedient to God the Father. And so Jesus, though He is equal with God, accepted the mission to take the form of a servant and become obedient even unto death on the cross. For those of you who who like to geek out on theology like I do, this is what we Reformed people have called the covenant of redemption, wherein the Son accepts the mission from the Father to come in the form of the servant and die for the elect. And... As a reward for that service, that obedience, the Father exalts him to the highest degree. We see, we see that it's a reward, something earned in that little word in verse 9, therefore, which is a wonderful word in scripture. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. And it's talking about how we know that Jesus' obedience is the reason God will exalt him. He earned it. God rewarded the Son because of his obedience. And there are actually two passages in Isaiah that shed further light on our Philippians. In Isaiah 45, 23 and 25 that we just heard read, God said... By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And pay attention to this. Because God is speaking. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And verse 25 In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And what's fascinating is in verse 23 there of Isaiah 45, we see that God swore an oath by himself that every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So when the Father exalted Christ above every name, the Alabama came out there for a second, Uh, people are bowing to God because Christ is God. 
verse 25 of Isaiah 45 told us that the people of God will give glory in this exaltation of God because they have been justified by God, declared righteous by Him and put in a right relationship with Him. Which is, of course, exactly what Jesus did for us through his obedience unto death. In Isaiah 53, 10-11, we read, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Here... Because the servant of the Lord is crushed and makes an offering for sin, God satisfies him. Verse 11. And because he bore iniquities, his people are counted as righteous. But in Philippians, because of Christ's obedience, he received the two benefits of being exalted And having a justified people. So the service of the Savior is that he has won, he has merited, he has earned eternal life for you. Which has brought him royal exaltation. And the question remains though, how this exhorts us. Why did Paul use this to encourage us and humility, and to be concerned with others. And that brings us to our second point, our selfishness for sludge. So the first point highlighted the depth of Christ's service by looking at how it was God who owes no obedience, who became a servant to save others. And in this point, I want to think about how easy it is for us to slip into a completely different mindset than the one of humble service for others' sake. How many of us think that the way to praise, the way to acclaim, or even to be appreciated is by taking on the humiliating tasks given to us by others? Isn't the way that the world thinks. Typically, we think that the road to high praise is through taking on the most prestigious roles and doing things with glitz and glamour. We prize celebrity status, even meager celebrity status at our own jobs. We just want to be seen. And we can become anything But humble, because often, even the acts of service we do for others, we do to put them in our debt. 
or so that they will recognize how great of a person we are. So many times our motives for being humble or for serving others are so that they will see and appreciate us. We want to achieve something through our service. Christ's style of obedience confronts this. Christ is God and yet did not think himself too high to stoop down to be of service. He did not insist on all the rights he had, nor did he use the leverage of being God to get out of a difficult task. Rather, in humility, he accepted the job to come and save people who hated him. Come and save people who hated him. I think that's profound. You, before the Spirit convinced you to believe, had nothing but animosity for the true God. And yet Christ agreed to come and win redemption for you by being obedient to His Father. How often we forget that we have and had nothing to offer Him. His work to serve you and save you was done despite the fact that you had nothing to give. He served you even though you hated Him and would not have even trusted in Him had the Spirit not so worked in your heart to do so. So Christ serves not only those who would refuse to praise and honor Him, but those who would rather crucify Him. He served with the goal of gaining something for you. And yet, the service and obedience he offered did bring him praise. Not initially, even from those whom he served, but from the Father in heaven. And this drove Christ to the cross because he knew that it was God who can offer higher praise, better reward, and deeper satisfaction than anything coming from anyone on earth. That indicates how we we strive for dismal glory. For dirty satisfaction, for smeared praise. We find it so hard to give generously of our time and service and and resources because often we think that those to whom we would give them cannot or will not offer us anything in return. want to offer ourselves to others because in contrast with Paul's exhortation, we actually do consider ourselves more significant than others. Or at least we wish we were more significant. This boils down to the brutal fact that we so easily lose sight of God. 
We want honor from men rather than honor from God. We are not concerned with how our Heavenly Father would look upon His people serving one another and be pleased, but we are concerned with how many pats on the back we can get and how many praises we can win from men. We care so much about this world and its accolades. And that's so easy to do. And that's why it's hard to be concerned with one another. And that's why Paul has to remind us to do so. That's why it's hard to look away from ourselves and serve our neighbor selflessly. We have become enamored with sludge and garbage that this world offers us and says is good. We prefer the rotten praises of people to the rewards of the Father that he will give us in heaven. And moreover, we value this sludge more than we value those whom Christ bought with his blood. We want a return for our service because we cannot look at a person and see how valuable they are Because Christ's blood has purchased them. We would not hesitate to offer help to someone worth a billion dollars. But we struggle to serve those who are worth the blood of the Son of God. Our selfishness for sludge is that we can be more concerned with fading temporary recognition from people than pleasing our Redeemer God who even has an eternal crown waiting for us. And that brings us to our third and last point, the sweetness of salvation. And so the first point, consider the infinite value of Christ's service, how he has earned exaltation By justifying you. And the second point highlighted ways that it is easy for us not to have that mind of Christ among us. Where we count others more significant than ourselves. And here I want to direct us back to the good news of the gospel. And show how the primary way we can forget ourselves for the benefit of others is by becoming more enamored with God, especially as seen in the sacrificial work of Christ. And so a vision of God will help us grow as servants of God. We have to reorient service and how we understand service from being something that is simply a horizontal interaction between you and your neighbor to something that has a vertical focus. You serve your fellow Christian because God, your Father, has asked you to do so and is pleased by that obedience. And then, as Christ was motivated to give up all that was rightfully His and come as a servant because of His deep Love to be obedient to the Father. So also you will be willing to set aside and even sacrifice 
for others because you are doing so in the service to God has given everything for you. Now, Christ's work is unrepeatable. We have to emphasize that. It is unrepeatable once and for all and entirely finished. So when we talk about following the example of Christ, it's not to repeat what he's done. We cannot repeat Christ's work, but his character is something we should strive to imitate. The reality is that we will never perfectly forget ourselves as Christ did. And we shouldn't kid ourselves to thinking that we're getting good at this. But the beauty of the gospel is that for those who are very prideful, for those who even love this world and its false glory and who struggle to overcome that love, for those people, for me, for us, Christ died. Gospel is that despite our failures to be like Christ, Christ gave himself for you. Despite the fact that you would never love each other or God enough to deserve it, God loved you enough to crucify his son to buy eternity for you. The truth of the gospel is that Christ even died for your selfishness. He paid our penalty because none of us will ever properly exercise the mind given to us in Christ, at least not this side of heaven. It may seem overwhelming to think about how much we're asked to love others and be concerned with them more than ourselves. How can, how can I ever get there? But Christ died not only to wipe away the penalty of your sins, but to crush the power of sin. He has sent His Spirit to indwell you and enable you to grow in godliness. His Spirit will not let sin or selfishness reign as total master of your heart. The sweetness of salvation is that we worship God because he justifies the ungodly and we worship Christ because he earned justification for selfish people. As we close, I want to to try to point us towards some application. This passage focuses on the life of the church, actually, which is the most direct application we can have. It's written to people in the church, telling them, have this mind among yourselves in Christ. And the joyous thing about this call to have this mind among you, because we are the church, is that we don't have to strive for it alone. We do this together. And calling you to love selflessly members of the church God has given you members of the church. You have brothers and sisters who are in the same struggle as you. 
seeking to die to themselves so that they can love you better, just as you seek to die to yourself more so you can love them better. You are not alone in the fight because we have one another. And through each other, Christ ministers to us as we speak the gospel into one another's lives. And he ministers to us as we serve one another. And what's what's interesting and crucial is that the fight to think less of yourself is not one you will win by focusing more on yourself. Self-examination and and deep reflection on yourself is not the way to win this fight. Rather, it is a fight Christ will enable us to win by looking more at Christ and looking more at the person in the seat next to you and reaching out to them in love. Trusting, even trusting that they will accept you with all your failures and flaws. Even when you don't love them perfectly, they will imperfectly love you. And we have to trust that our brothers and sisters will love us. So when you look at the person next to you after the service, trust they will love you. Even though you can't give them perfect love. And through this, we see actually the true nature of the church, a community Built on love and acceptance. Seeking to love and serve one another no matter how imperfect those acts of service may be. That's the nature of the church. Church only looks this way as it is grounded, rooted, and built up in the gospel. Looking to worship her risen Lord, who is now exalted... Because he rendered saving service that purchased all of us salvation so that we can be his bride. Let's pray. Father God, there is rich gospel truth in this passage. We see much about the work of Christ. And we see that we've only scratched the surface of what it can tell us about the significance of what he came to earth to do. And so we're thankful, we're deeply thankful that Christ came to earth in the form of a servant to serve us by dying to cover our sins. And we are even thankful for this call to serve one another, to be humble and love one another, to be interested in each other's lives. Because we as people who who do latch on to ourselves and our own concerns, if we didn't have this word, we would become self-centered. And so we thank you that you've given it to us, and we ask that you would refresh our understanding of it and that you would refresh our passion to be other-centered, to be...